Gary Wilkerson here with the Gary Wilkerson Podcast. So thrilled to have you with us here today. We're having a very special uh, two-part series here on the New Covenant. Um, you may think, oh, well, that's isn't that just the New Testament? There's the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, the Old Testament and the New Testament. No, it is so much more than that. Not only is it so much more than that, it is a life-changing message. It will transform you from somebody who's struggling with joy, lack of peace, struggling with temptation, uh, uh, habitual patterns of sin that seem to just uh, grieve you and the Holy Spirit as well. And this is a liberating, life-setting, uh, life-freeing, uh, setting you in a higher place than ever before. Uh, it's been an important message to us here at World Challenge in our ministry for a long time. And really one of the great proponents of the New Covenant and one of the great faithful preachers of the, that New Covenant is here with us today. He's done this New Covenant message all over Europe, Eastern Europe, through Africa as well, uh, into uh, now pastoring in Jacksonville, Florida, and his church there is thriving. The people, I've, I go there a couple times a year to preach. The people there are thriving because they're hearing a message that— um, as I said, it's it's liberating. It's 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 about the heart and the new heart that the new covenant gives to us through the power of Jesus Christ. You may think you know this already, and you say, "Well, let me tune out because I already know what they're going to talk about." No, I think you're going to be uh, surprised and challenged, convicted and transformed. So, yeah, so let's get right into it. Uh, Pastor John John Bailey of Springs Church, Jacksonville. Before that, a missionary in Ireland for. Uh, at least a decade or so, right? It was almost eight years. Oh, yeah, almost right eight, eight years, years yeah. yeah, and doing missions work throughout uh, mm -hmm. the world and doing pastors' conferences and conferences for people and leaders. So, um, yeah, welcome to Colorado and welcome to our podcast today. Glad you're here with us. Yeah, it's good to be here. We love World Challenge and uh, Pastor Gary, we just so appreciate your ministry and thrilled to be here. It's an honor. And talking about New Covenant, we love yeah. Uh, speaking on this particular subject. Yeah, let's dive right in because there's such great content. We'll take two episodes to uh, cover just even mm -hmm. the introduction to it. And um, I know, and I'd also like to announce uh, some of the teaching series you have uh, on this. So if people want to take a bit of a deeper dive, they can get your materials as well. Uh, so when people hear us say we're going to do two weeks on uh, the New Covenant, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind is, you know, with my Bible here, there's the Old Covenant. We call it testament, which is somewhat of a similar word. And then there's the new covenant. Are you just talking about you're a guy who really likes the New Testament and not so much the Old mm -hmm. Testament? Or does the new covenant mean something else besides the same thing as the New Testament? Yeah, I would believe uh, in, in, the, in the way that I understand the scriptures, I believe that the new covenant is the covenant that God has always planned in his mind from the beginning of creation. That was, it was always the way that God wanted to deal with man. The old covenant uh, was based on law, and the purpose of that was really to show us how weak and frail uh, that we are, uh, what sinners we are, because it brings us to the place of truly understanding new covenant that we find a life in Christ. So the old covenant, both of them flow together. Uh, certainly, they both have their part to play, but but the old covenant would be more based on showing us our weakness the new covenant would be more based on showing us God's power. So it's not uh, Genesis through Malachi is <laughs> old covenant and Matthew through Revelation is new covenant. It's mm -hmm. There's new covenant in Ezekiel, Isaiah, Psalms. Yep. Uh, there's new covenant in Genesis. Uh, and then there's also, would that be true then, there'd be old covenant or law in mm -hmm. the New Testament as well? Paul saying you're under, not under grace, grace, but you're under law? A absolutely. As a matter of fact, uh, Jeremiah uh, 29 gives the 
uh, really an incredible prophetic voice there that God says that I will bring a new covenant. So it's always been prophesied. And if you go back to the foundations of the, the, the scripture says from the foundations of the earth, the lamb was slain. So the plan of the new covenant was always in God's mind. So both old and new covenant, as a matter of fact, it's incredible when you start to go through the old covenant. We're going to spend like two sessions here of maybe about 30 minutes I'll go to places like Cuba uh, and other places. I'll spend as much as 40 hours of going through New Covenant uh, in, in detail to help pastors to understand. So this isn't some obscure teaching. It really is the fullness of the Bible put together into pieces uh, so that we could understand the plan that God has always had and the way that he deals with this. Is the New Covenant the gospel and the Old Covenant the law? Um, the, um, that's a, that's a very simple way to put it. Yes. But I would, I would say that, but it was a, it's a precise understanding of, of the gospel. And I think that what happens a lot of times, even in, um, um, not just America, but places around the world, what you have is you have a lot of times people who are preaching and teaching and they bleed the new covenant and the old covenant over and so you get sometimes people who are new covenant preachers and teachers, but they're really incorporating law-based, a law-based mentality. And so the idea is not to just add one on top of the other. You have to see, actually, one of the passages that we have in Hebrews chapter 8, it says that the old covenant has become obsolete. So it really has no effect or power over our lives. And when you start to bring new covenant in our old covenant into into a new covenant uh, gospel church world, it really doesn't have a place there. All it does is, is is brings us back to old places, and God wants us to walk into the power of the new covenant. Yeah. If that makes sense? Yeah. So, so if I get you right, the gospel you can preach to the gospel. So you and I, are, we're, we've been pastors. Mm-hmm. You preach to the congregation. You somebody wants to receive the gospel. So you know, my, my mind goes to salvation. Where you're, you're kind of unpacking the gospel into being okay. This is you can't begin uh, in, with the gospel salvation message and then go back to living under the law or the old covenant. So the new covenant message that you spend forty hours on, as you said, in places yes. like Cuba, you're unpacking that over forty hours. You're obviously not pack, unpacking the uh, you know uh, the sinner's prayer. You're talking about this is how you live under. Mm-hmm the kingdom, the realm of the gospel in terms of a new covenant. And so it has it has different aspects to it that we might not include when we just say the gospel. Mm-hmm. So so take a few minutes and just um, just like if somebody's not been introduced to this before and you want to give them the elevator talk about what is the new covenant, right. somebody asks, well, Pastor John, what, I don't understand what you're talking about, the new covenant. Can, can you take a few minutes and explain that to us? Yeah, um, I'll, I'll tell you actually a great uh, teaching. We may actually... Uh, turn with me back to Deuteronomy. I want to kind of bring a, a couple of things together. It give a it gives a really clear uh, picture. And uh, Deuteronomy chapter uh, twenty eight actually, um, there's a story here of where God has uh, he's bringing the children of Israel into the promised land. Uh, he had already had the old covenant law that he had given through Moses, and and now he's gathering uh, the children of Israel together. And there's two mounts, Ebal and Gerizim. And he puts six of the tribes on Ebal, six of the tribes on Gerizim. 
and now he's recounting the law back to them. And it's a, it's a great picture of Old Testament, uh, uh, what Old Testament law is. So I'm reading just a few verses here in uh, 28, and, and it says, So now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. This is one, verse 1? One. This is verse 1, yeah. Uh, to, to carefully... Uh, uh, to care to to observe carefully his commandments, which I command to you today, uh, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all of these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of the ground, and the increase of your herds the increase of the cattle and the offspring of your flocks. Blessed, blessed uh, shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. And so um, you, you have this and, and it continues to go on. But basically what God is saying is if you obey me, if you keep law, then you'll be blessed. Well, the only problem with that is... <laughs> Does anybody here think while they're standing there chanting and believing this and saying this, does anybody believe that they actually are going to keep the law? And we know this from New Testament, Bible, gospel, that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So as they're as they're recounting the promises of God that he will bless them if they keep all of the law, the problem is that then it follows that by saying, but if you do not keep all of the law, now you'll be under a curse. And here's here's the problem. If you break one point of the law, you're guilty of all of it. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. And so what it does is it puts us in this incredible predicament of going, okay, if we do good, we'll be blessed. And so when we start to reduce preaching down to if you're good, God will bless you. But if you do bad, then you're uh, then God is going to be mad at you. And it reduces to that what happens is because we're flawed. Any honest man knows that we all have flaws. So if your idea of God and the way that he treats you is that he He loves you when you do good, but he's angry with you when you do bad, you're constantly going to be in conflict. You'll have no confidence with God or yourself. And the scripture says that your heart condemns you. And so what we have found in many places in the church that we, the church uh, over years have been guilty of putting people on the spiritual cycle treadmill, if you would, of trying to do good to please God. And then when you fail, then you're overcome with grief and guilt and, you know, upset. And I just can't do this anymore. And it's because your understanding is an old Testament, old covenant understanding. And God wants to bring us out of that understanding into what really his plan is which is that we are children of God. Mm. And um, uh, if you, if you, if, yeah, if you can, yeah. turn with me to John. Uh, this is a great, I was going through this and studying this out, and it's a great, uh, great passage in John chapter four and verse uh, verses one. And actually most of you know the story, so I can kind of recount it and uh, you can go back and read it later. But it's the story of the woman at the well and what's interesting about it is, you, you know, we've all heard the passage before. Uh, I must needs go through Samaria. And so you go, okay, well, he had obviously something that he needed to go there, obviously to talk to the woman at the well. But if you, if you start to read the story, I believe it has a much deeper new covenant understanding. So he goes to the woman, they're at the well, and they begin to converse with each other. And we, we know, uh, mo most of us know, if you don't, um, uh, basically the Samaritans 
had intermarried and it was against God's law. So in that, it means that everybody that was a Samaritan had broken law and was under a curse. So the Jews wouldn't have anything to do with the Samaritans because in their eyes, they were sinners and they were under a curse from God. So they wouldn't have much dealings with them. Well, when Jesus comes to this woman, he's speaking to her. Now, here's what's really important to understand about the story. If you go to Jacob's well, it sets at the base of Ebal and Gerizim. So the same place that we were at in Deuteronomy is the exact same place that the woman at the well is at. And so now this is where Jesus says, I must needs be here. And now who is he talking to? A woman who has broken the law in every way. As a matter of fact, if we look at the woman at the well, she was born in sin because her forefathers had intermarried. And so she was uh, she, she had broken law. Then she had five husbands. So she had lived in sin. And now she's still living in sin because she's living with the man. So look at this perfect specimen of this person is a person that is guilty of old covenant law at every turn. So was born in sin, lived in sin, still living in sin. And then now she's conversing with Jesus and doesn't even know who he is. He's just completely spiritually blind. And, you know, I find this interesting because when we look at the woman at the well, we go, we, we, we can be guilty of going, man, look how bad that woman is. Well, look at all of the terrible things that she's done. But the woman at the well is, is a picture of humanity because, uh, Pastor Gary, we are all born into sin. We all have lived in sin. And guess what? We all still sin. And First John says that if any man says that he's without sin, he's a liar. We still have moments of cracks and flaws and brokenness. And so this woman at the well is this perfect specimen of a person that Jesus had to go and speak to because it's at the it's at the very place that you have old covenant being reinforced uh, there in Old Testament law, and now you have new covenant with this woman at the well, and it is striking because what does Jesus say? If you knew who I was, and you knew what I had to offer you, you would ask me, and I would give you streams of living water. That is, a, that is an incredible picture of new covenant. What, what does he say? Does he say, uh, if you knew who I was and you reformed yourself, if you could just behave a little bit better, if you would just do right, then I would give you streams of living. He doesn't even mention that. He says, if you knew who I was, if you, when you begin to know who Jesus is, and this is what new covenant is, it moves from that place of knowing God as a set of rules and moving to a place that now you know him in a personal way, and now you begin to reflect his glory, and you become more and more like him. So he says, if you know who I am, and then you know what I have to offer you, which is the power of the Holy Spirit, you would then, what, what does he say? Would you then keep law? No, he says, if you will just ask me. And it's the simplicity of faith that we come, and we simply ask Jesus and when you ask him in faith, believing, knowing who he is, knowing that he has the kingdom to give to you, when you ask that, he says, then I will give you streams of living water. And it so impacted the woman at the well that she doesn't walk away with just, you know, trying to make it to heaven, uh, just say a prayer. So one day maybe I can get to heaven. It was much deeper than that. She came to know Messiah 
And it so revolutionary revolutionized her life that she runs back to the town that she came from and she tells everybody, come and hear this man. So she becomes the first missionary in the New Testament. Why? Because she comes in contact and that's the power of the new covenant. Old covenant leaves you in a place where you're constantly overwhelmed with guilt and shame and, you know, God, I failed. And listen, we should be contrite over our failures. No doubt about that. But it does not change God's perspective and how he treats us because he dealt with sin once and for all at the cross. And when he says it's finished, it's finished. And now we are children of God. So there's such a powerful understanding and the way that God treats us and how we respond to God, knowing that we come on a sure footing. It's not about how good we are. It's always about how good Jesus is. And that never changes. Me being good or bad can change from one day to, to the next, one hour to the next, unfortunately, uh, but Jesus never changes. So if your salvation uh, or your walk with God depends on how good you are, it will always be faltering. But if it's based on how good Jesus is, it will always be flourishing. So I think that that's a great picture, if you would, of making a distinction between Old Testament and New Testament, Old Covenant, and New Covenant. Mm -hmm. I love that. The woman at the well, uh, she, we were talking about the gospel earlier. So if the story ended there, you know, it does, but we can project what might have happened to her afterwards. I don't, I don't get the idea that she just uh, went back to her sin after that, such a dynamic encounter with Jesus. So, you know, the, so she was introduced to the gospel, you know, the living water, but for her to live, now she has to live under the grace of the new covenant. She can't go back to the old covenant of like, okay, well, Jesus came, I met him, he forgave me, I preached to the city, so many people came to know Jesus, this is exciting, uh, but now I have to make up, like you said, the, I have to grieve over my past sins a little longer. Uh, this has only been two days now that he's been with me. So, uh, you know, I, I think those are some of the ways you can measure whether or not you're still living under the old covenant has to do with that, how you handle your own flaws and failures and sins. And, you know, you mentioned some of these, the, the obsessive grieving, the self-loathing, the, the um, hatred, and then the promises. I would say the second one would be promises. I'll never do that again. Um, you know, it's still me. You know, you're still, uh, the other, the other one then is, um, I'll, I'll make it up to you. Um, I'll read three chapters of my Bible a day. I'll, you know, it's, it's very much, uh, you know, m me, you know, what, what I need to do. And I think that's probably for me, the, if you had to nail this thing down to just a few little words, it would be me or him, you know, that, that, that old covenant is about me, what I do, how righteous am I, how righteous am I, or how unrighteous I might be. But if it's uh, if it's the, if it's about the new covenant is about him, what he's done for me. Uh, I just wanted to also, John, you're in, uh, in, in the Lord had uh, spoken this to my heart uh, a number of times, you know, because I, 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 you know, I love reading the first half of Deuteronomy 28. You know, the, <laughs> I just, I just want to stay there. But then, uh, you know, when you start talking about these curses, mm -hmm. and it gets pretty, pretty awful. And you know, some Christians might be living in fear, like, well, you know, I, I did, I just did disobey, so. You know, am I going to get this kind of punishment? And I think under the new covenant, what we see is not only do we receive the blessings by grace of this, not by law, uh, not having earned it, but but his, his favor is now upon us. But also, you know, the, the New Testament talks about Jesus becoming a curse for us. 
And so one of, the, one of these days, I was one day a while back, I was reading these curses, and rather than reading them through the lens of my experience or my failure and the possible outcome and the fear that I might have, the the unhealthy fear of God, you know, I started reading this through the lens of He became these things. So if you think about this, you say, uh, then all these curses will overtake Jesus. Cursed shall He be in His city. Cursed shall Jesus be in the field. Cursed shall Jesus be in His basket and His kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of the womb and of the ground and the increase of the herds. Uh, then the Lord will send curses, confusion, frustration, and all that is undertake you do until you are destroyed and perish quickly on the account of the evil of your deeds because you have forsaken me. Now, Jesus, we know, is perfect. He didn't do any of these things um, and deserve nothing of the curse. He lived a spotless, sinless, uh, impeccable life. And so, and yet the Bible says he took this Deuteronomy 28 curse on himself so that we didn't have to bear it. So this is the free gift. This is this is an offer like uh, of the... You know, some people, some people call it the exchange life. Uh, you put your sin on me on the cross, and I'll t- I'll, my blood will cover it, and my death will bury it. It'll be buried in the grave, and then. But that's just half the gospel. The other half is I'll impute my righteousness to you. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I think I see that throughout the, as you talked about some of the Old Testament passages having a new co- new covenant message. And I think to see that most clearly is. I'll, I'll, is the imputed righteousness of God? I'll take the, I'll I'll take the old sinful nature, nail it to the tree, curse be cursed there. All the curses that would have been on you are on Christ, and I think that's why that cup of wrath, you know, that you know, in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he said, "Let this cup pass from me," wasn't because he was afraid of martyrdom. I mean, how many heroes of the faith have gone to the to the stake or to the cross with singing songs and hymns and you know. Uh, uh, play the man, as one martyr said to another in England. Uh, Latimer said to his friend, you know, he, he saw his friend getting burned to the stake and he was kind of looking afraid. And he said, play the man, you know, be, be a man. So Jesus could have played the man, but it was the cup that he was taking, this cup of partly of this, you know, some of this is described in Deuteronomy 28. And so all those passages, um, you know, as you talk about Ezekiel or Jeremiah or Isaiah, the new covenant passages embedded in those texts. They always talk about this, you know, put him putting a new spirit in you, him putting a new heart in you, and and that's what took place at the cross. That's that's where the Amen. the gospel comes about. So, um, <clears throat> what do you see as the benefits uh, when you preach this to people in your church or in Cuba? What kind of lifestyle changes do you see take place? You know, we had a pastor in Cuba. Uh, we went over and did a new covenant conference and. There's sometimes when you're talking about these things and some people are like, oh, yeah. And then there's some people that really take it to heart. And this man was like, man, he latched into the message. And the problem with it is this is why going back to an old covenant message of law. And if you sin, God's angry. And if you do good, you'll be blessed. To go back to that, it undermines those incredible truths. And so you find so many places to do this. Well, he determined he was he was going to go the opposite way, and he was just going to preach covenant, help people to discover who they are in Christ. It doesn't mean, and I want to make sure that this is clear, there is still righteousness, sin is still sin, right is still right, wrong is still wrong, but the way that God treats us, how when, when we're his children, that he imputes our sins against us, he imputed the sins against Christ, and now as believers— he does. He no longer imputes our sin against us because mm-hmm. Jesus paid it all. And so if he paid it all, that means that we can't repay for it again. So we go back in confession and love. 
uh, we go back to him to see his glory so that we'll be more like him. And this is what that pastor found out. And it's what I found out as a leader as well, that when you reinforce that message consistently of understanding who you are in Christ, knowing the power of what it means to be a son and a daughter, it just begins to change the way that people behave. That pastor saw incredible, there's the fastest growing church in, in <laughs> their denomination in Cuba. They started to see people in great victory. They had revival in their church. We have experienced that as well. You know, we never, we, we, we never in our church go and say to people, if you're a good Christian, you'll go out and share your faith. If you're a good Christian, you'll volunteer. We never say that. We tell people, get to know Jesus, love Jesus, let him speak to you, and fall in love with the Lord. I have one job, and that's to help people fall in love with Jesus. And you know, we have probably 300 people a month involved in evangelism. And you know what? We never twist arms. We're never pushing people out to do it. We have volunteers. We have helpers. We have workers. The most working church that I've ever been a part of. And for years, I said at churches, where pastors berated people, taught, told them how bad they were if they didn't share their faith, they didn't tell somebody about Jesus this week, then how do you call yourself a Christian? Mm -hmm. And it was guilt and it was shame, thinking that it would produce something spiritual. But law never produces something that's spiritual. If law could produce something spiritual, Jesus would never need to die on the cross. What produces something spiritual is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes when we live a life of faith God gives us that. We begin to see Jesus in his glory and he transforms us. Then we begin to live the life. And when you live the life serving and loving and sharing your faith, all becomes such an incredible part of your life and testimony, not because it's a chore or a duty, but because you have fallen in love with Jesus. And that's why the early church was so effective. And I believe it's why many places around the world have become less effective because we're going back to this, you know, uh, law-based mentality. Uh, and if you're a pastor or leader, I want to just say to you, if you want to see your church change, get off of that message and begin to preach the love and the glory and the power of God and, and helping people to see who they are in Christ. If they can discover that, it will totally transform the way people interact with God, how they serve the church and the community. In my experience, that's what we have mm. discovered. Mm. That's a uh, that's life changing. I think I think it's a uh, it's it's external and internal in two ways. One, one uh, in the old covenant, the righteousness that you said, you know, you said you be I, I believe in righteousness. We have to live a holy life, be holy as I am holy. So we're advocating for that. But it's how we get holy that the new covenant speaks to us. And the the old covenant righteousness is external. It's outside of me, and I'm striving to get to it. Uh, my behavior will get me to this place where I finally feel somewhat adequate about my righteousness, my conscience sometimes con condemning me and sometimes affirming me uh, based on my performance. So it's outside where all of these passages we're talking about, we can get into a whole lot more of them in detail. When, if we had more time, we certainly would. But uh, the, the, you see it prophetically spoken of in the Old Testament that this this is not something that's going to be external to you anymore. I'll put this I'll put the spirit in you. Uh, I'll give you a new heart. The stony heart will be removed. The heart of flesh, uh, the the soft heart that is pliable to my righteousness. So now uh, righteousness is ex is internal. It's it's some it's who you are, and it flows out of you. It's not something you're just trying 
uh, gritting the teeth and clenching the fist and saying, I'm going to be righteous. I'm going to be holy. I'm going to try to do better. Uh, I'm going to try to finally please you, God, so you'll love me. It's like, no, I know I'm loved because he took the curse for me. I know I'm loved because he He rose again to get put that righteousness in me. And now I have an internal righteousness. It's, it's, it's my identity. It's who I am. I'm not trying to become righteous. I already am righteous. Now there's the sanctification process, obviously, that causes you to grow in the Lord. And sometimes people get that confused. They think that New Covenant message is... Uh, Kind of like the Wesleyan, almost like entire sanctification uh, that you know you just accept by faith that you're entirely sanctified. That's not what we're saying. We still are moving through the the goal of, and I got that confused at one point in my own teaching, uh, but the, and and I see that difference there. But this righteousness is important to me. Then the outcome, the question I asked you, I think it's important because you see the external things now yeah. that you're supposed to do as a Christian: read my Bible, pray, witness to my friends. Those are already internalized. Those are things that I long to do. Maybe somebody else says something, and I'll be reminded of that and, and go for it. But it's not an external that I have to try to. It's it's in me. And plus, there's the 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 internal righteousness as well. The benefit of that is not just. I, I love what you're saying that the people become evangelistic or they change their. their you know, they, they get committed to a message of preaching this. But I think it does something on the inside, too. It, it moves you from that person who's living under guilt and shame and condemnation to somebody who really has understand what it, what it means to have peace with God. And I think there's so many Christians struggling with, with that. You know, we you, you remember the old Billy Graham evangelist message where oftentimes had to coin the phrase of, you know, uh, come to have peace with God. I think he might have even written a book about it. And that, you know, so we, we pictured that as being salvation. You repent of your sins, you believe in Jesus, and you have peace with God. Well, then why don't so many Christians? Why do so many Christians not have peace with God, even though they're saved? And they they really they really are. They've really come to a, a born again knowledge of Christ, and He's transformed their heart. But they're still living without that peace. Well, I think this is the message that that is is laced throughout Old and New Testaments that speak to us about having a new heart, and this new heart is does have that peace with God and does have the joy. And, it, and it, it no longer sees from a distance these promises that seem like that must be for another type of Christian because that's not for me. I've come to that you might have life and have it abundantly. I don't know if I could describe myself as having abundant life. You know, uh, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. So, well, it seems like a lot of weapons, a lot of temptations are coming near to my house. And so uh, these are these are great and, as Scripture says, great and precious promises that we have from God. Uh, can you take us to maybe one or two more, uh, and then next week I want to ask you how, okay, so people are hearing some descriptors of this. How do you actually obtain it? How do you start walking in it? Uh, yeah. but, but before we go there, just is there another verse or two that sort of uh, uh, are real precious promises to you in, in, in verses? Yeah, I actually may um, just just um, to take off mm -hmm. of what you're saying. Okay, sure. I'll get to a passage in a moment, but if you think about evangelism, if you know, uh, if if you're out there and you're, you're going, you live under Old Testament, Old Covenant kind of thinking, and then you're evangelistic. I, I mean, how many of us have met people that are constantly living in guilt and fear? So evangelism becomes, hey, let me go tell my neighbor that Jesus loves them, and uh, hey, could you do, do you want to come and follow Christ like me? So you can now live under guilt and fear. <laughs> right. now, now your whole life, you can constantly be wondering if God is really there for you. If He really hears the cry of your heart, you know. And it, well, why don't people evangelize? If that's the message, it's not a very fun message to tell people. Mm -hmm. But if the message is, "Hey, Jesus died for my sins, 
And now when I come to know him, he makes me brand new the way that I live and think. And uh, now he, I, I'm a son or daughter and he's my, he's, he's my father, my savior. Now that's a much more inviting message to hear. So um, I, I know for myself, when I first became a Christian, I came out of a really rough background, bouncing bars and uh, gave my life to Christ in jail and, you know, so forth. And when I came to church for many years, I was in law-based kind of churches. And I found myself being in, in that place where I felt like giving up all the time. And it's funny because I'll, I'll talk to uh, pastors about New Covenant, and a lot of times people will come back, pastors will come back and say, well, that's just, you know, you're just teaching people to sin, which that is not what it is at all. You know, and it, you, you have to go preach law, so uh, they'll know not to sin. But it's actually, it was the times where I was under guilt and shame that I felt like giving up. And the moments that I've had the greatest moments in my life are those those moments that I came to discover the love and the glory of God, even in my failures. So I would just say to you, if you're a pastor, leader, a Christian, when you can come to that place of just having a genuine trust in the Lord, it really helps. I, I was um, in Latvia at a Bible college there teaching, and uh, we were talking about faith. And, you know, the Bible says it's impossible to please God without faith. And I was trying to talk to them about, you know, sometimes people have the idea that faith um, that, that faith is, you know, praying, fasting, and you sort of build up this power so that you can do something great. Well, one of the students stood up and he says, um, he said, yes, that's right. He says, just like the Bible says to, uh, to, to pray and you can move mountains. And so I came back and I said, well, actually, I don't think it says that you can move the mountains by yourself. God moves the mountains. And he says, no, you move the mountains. So I said to him, I said, you know, we, I, I was driving into the property here and I saw it's not a mountain. It's just a little hill. And you know what? Actually, I'll carry your Bible and we'll walk over with you. And I you don't have to put it into the sea. If you could just move that hill <laughs> about a foot to the right, we'll all be very impressed. And then I said, you know, you're a young Christian, so that may be a lot. There's a sandbox that was outside. And, you know, if we could just put the sand on one side of the box, and and if faith is just you wielding up enough power to go and do something for God, if that's what it is, then you can certainly get the sand to go from one side of the sandbox to the other side of the sandbox. And, of course, he put his head down. Um, by the end of the week, he came back to me and had such a joy as he came to discover this. But here's here's what faith is, is to rely upon, to trust in, to believe in. And it is when you start living out new covenant, it's moving from that place of what I can do for God. And it moves to a place of what God is doing through me. And it just, you just grow exponentially when you start to see faith as that. Listen, God can move any mountain. And what he needs you to do is stand and to believe him and he can do it all. And the same happens with salvation, with serving God, with, with walking with God. When you really start to learn that the power in the gospel and living out the Christian life is not what you can do, but what he can do, it just begins to transform everything. Now you start to go, no, hey, I can't do it, but God can do it. And you spend your life believing how good he is. I, I, I love uh, one person said this. 
is that when you say I can't, that's unbelief. When you say I can, that is pride. But when you say God can, that is true faith. And you covenant is all based upon not what you can do, what he can do. He's dealt with your sins. He's giving you the power of the Holy Spirit. He helps you to overcome. Now you either believe that or not. And when you begin to believe that and walk it out, it, your life goes from this place of meaningless shame, guilt, Christianity to a place that you're really beginning to make a difference in the world that you live in. And so um, maybe just sharing that as we're kind yeah. of bringing this to an end. If you're if you're here and you're going, what is New Covenant really all about? Yes, it's about the grace of God, but it takes the grace of God and it moves it into the power of God that he gives us power to be overcomers, to live in this kingdom, to serve in this kingdom, to be children of God in the world that we live in. And that is the very thing that can can help you to walk out the purposes and the plan of God in your life. That's awesome. Thank you, Pastor John. Really appreciate that strong and profound word. Uh, do you have a have you done a teaching series in your church that's like online or something that if people wanted to hear a little bit more about this, so I think people are going to want to dig deeper into this. Yes, all those messages are in t are on tscjacks.com. And uh, you can go there and you will find all those messages Excellent. on New Covenant. Well, we're going to do something different, never done before here on our podcast, but we want to give away 20 free books. My father wrote a book when he started discovering this New Covenant uh, called New Covenant Unveiled. And uh, that, that book has changed names since, but we want to send you a free copy of that. The first 20 people that write to us here on our podcast at podcast at worldchallenge.org. First 20 people, podcast at worldchallenge.org. We're going to send you that free book. You're going to love it. It's a, it's great to hear a message like this, but I tell you what, when you get something in front of you, you, got, you open up your Bible and you have a, a text like that uh, alongside a book like New Covenant Unveiled, uh, this is going to... Uh, illuminate some new things in your heart. I think you'll be really blessed by that. You want to join us on our next episode because Pastor John's going to unpack this a little bit more. He's also going to tell us like the the, the little bit more of the brass tacks, how, how to. Uh, I want to move from the old covenant law. I want to move into grace. I want to move into the power that he's talking about to overcome sin, to live a righteous life, to live a, a godly life, to live a, a powerful life, to live a life of faith and joy and delight. So uh, we're going to ask him next week how how can you really grasp hold of that, take it, own it, live it, stay with it, uh, consume it? So thanks, Pastor John. Good being with you. Look forward to episode two. The Gary Wilkerson Podcast is brought to you by World Challenge, transforming lives through the message and mission of Jesus Christ. Each week, this podcast reaches thousands of listeners. This critical work is made possible by the generous contributions of individuals like you who believe in World Challenge's mission. Thank you for listening and supporting.